cries for justice in Kamloops. It's proof, basically, proof that there are children that were never returned home. Reaction to the discovery of the remains of more than 200 children on the grounds of a former residential school. And... I'll now invite the House to rise and observe a minute of silence. Ottawa's quiet move to commemorate the suffering with a new statutory holiday. Call to quit the quarantine hotels. We do not have evidence that, that shows that we have actually reduced the transmission. The recommendation to cancel Canada's policy affecting international travelers. And growing protests against old growth logging. Morgan has said in the past that these trees are worth more standing. What demonstrators did to get Premier Horgan's attention. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Sharing grief, Indigenous communities devastated that heartbreak felt right across the country as they grapple with a disturbing discovery at the site of a former residential school in Kamloops. Good evening, everybody, and thanks for joining us. That's where we begin tonight. The Tecumlip Sequimep First Nation says ground-penetrating radar has found the remains of more than 200 children on the site of the former Kamloops Residential School. The tragedy, one survivor says, is far greater than anyone knows. Our Paul Johnson is live in Kamloops. Uh, Paul, we want to acknowledge and warn our audience tonight. The details of this story may be triggering for some of our viewers. Absolutely. Sophie, you know, if you talk to people here who've been associated with this residential school, they say there have been rumors of some kind of mass grave on this site for decades. They actually started looking about 20 years ago. They didn't find anything then, but they resumed their search recently using radar. And what they tell us is that last weekend, their suspicions were confirmed. They came from First Nations all throughout the Thompson-Nicola region Friday, reacting to the electrifying news that for some was confirmation of what they'd suspected all along. We don't know how they came to their demise, but we do know that they're children who deserve to be honoured and respected. Roseanne Kassemeyer is the chief from the Tekemloops First Nation, who says she's been informed by technicians who conducted a search of the property with ground-penetrating radar that the bodies of as many as 215 children may lie in a mass, unmarked grave on the old Kamloops residential school property. I didn't attend the school, but my, my family did, and it really uh, makes me think about the stuff that they went through. And it, um, it does, it opens up old wounds. The Kamloops Residential School operated from 1890 to 1977. It was run by the Catholic Church, and First Nations children from across BC's interior were forcibly brought here. Students describe a brutal life of loneliness and humiliation and say there were always rumors. There's a, a story of another gravesite beside the gym over here in that parking lot. There's supposed to be, a, there were stories of gravesites there. I don't know how many, but, uh, you know, those kind of things uh, were told and came to my ears. Paul, this is obviously such a sensitive situation. What will be happening next? 
Well, uh, we're not exactly certain. Uh, we're told by the First Nations here that there's going to be some kind of technical report that's going to be made available probably um, within the next coming weeks. But down the road, if this turns out to be what they think it is, um, presumably there's going to have to be some kind of mass forensic excavation operation here, the likes of which we probably haven't seen in this province since the investigations into the Picton farm. Now, whatever happens here, the First Nations here have told us that they want it to happen um, with the dignity that's due to whoever is in the ground there, and it's going to happen according to their culture and their customs. Sophie? As it should. All right, thanks for that. Paul Johnson in Kamloops. You Indigenous and political leaders from around B.C. and across Canada are expressing sadness, anger and shock over the horrific discovery in Kamloops. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, for residential school survivors and their descendants, the children buried on the former residential school grounds are long-lost siblings, aunts and uncles who were torn from their lives and their communities. Abuse at the Kamloops Residential School left countless people broken. The painful memories, too much to bear. I cut my chest open with a hunting knife and my wife at that time and her cousin found me behind the couch. Artist Opie Oppenheim was among the children sent to the school. I felt surrounded by priests and nuns. We were told that he was a nice person, a nice God. At night, these very same people that we're talking about wandered around the, the dorm and abused and followed us. Oppenheim recently died, as have many residential school survivors. The recent discovery of 215 children's bodies now adding to the horror and prompting calls for an investigation. If this has taken place at the Kamloops Indian Residential School, There's no reason not to believe that it happened right across this country. And I think we haven't heard the worst of this. BC's chief coroner has stated in part, we are early in the process of gathering information and will continue to work collaboratively with the Dekemlips to Sowetump and others as this sensitive work progresses. I'll now invite the House to rise and observe a minute of silence following the tragic discovery of the remains of 215 children at a former residential school in British Columbia. In the House of Commons, a moment of silence. The Prime Minister stated, The news that remains were found at the former Kamloops residential school breaks my heart. It is a painful reminder of that dark and shameful chapter of our country's history. Premier Horgan said, I honour to Kamloops to Sowetum as they grapple with this burden from a dark chapter of Canadian history and uphold their commitment to complete this investigation over the coming weeks, bringing to light the full truth of this loss. The Roman Catholic Bishop of Kamloops said, Along with the people of the Diocese of Kamloops, I offer assurance of my personal support, prayers, and accompaniment to our First Nations community in Kamloops and beyond. First Nations leaders in Kamloops say they have met with the RCMP, but next steps remain unclear. For some residential school survivors, possible answers about the mass grave will come too late. For others and their families, an investigation may be another step toward truth and reconciliation. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. 
And a somber memorial came together outside the Vancouver Art Gallery late this afternoon. 215 pairs of children's shoes were placed on the gallery's south steps. Empty shoes have become a poignant symbol of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and the ongoing quest for justice in their deaths. News of the grim discovery in Kamloops prompted a rare moment of unanimity in Ottawa. Following a moment of silence, a unanimous motion in the House of Commons ended debate of Bill C-5. It will now be sent to the Senate for ratification. Under that legislation, September 30th, Orange Shirt Day, will be established as a new statutory holiday, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. The history of residential schools is not Indigenous history only, it is Canadian history, so everybody needs to learn about this. And, and with this, I, I believe the empathy and the awareness is uh, going to increase. Now, the news of this discovery could be traumatizing for residential school survivors and their descendants, but help is available. If you need it, you can call the National Indian Residential School Crisis Line at 1-866-925-4419 or BC's 24-7 line, KUIS Crisis Line, at 1-800-588-8717. Let's turn to COVID-19 now in our province. We have 317 new cases, bringing BC's total to 143,581. 3,444 of those cases are active. 292 patients are in hospital, 79 of them in the ICU. And sadly, two more people have died from complications of the virus. Keith Baldry joins us now with more. Keith, let's talk about the variants of concern because... Mm -hmm. uh, how our reopening unfolds really depends on what happens with the variants. Yeah, they're the, the uh, genuine wild card here, Chris. And we haven't talked about the variants of concern for some time. So there are four variants of concerns, mutations of COVID-19, but three are particularly active and are growing in number. Here's the latest numbers from the Center uh, for Disease Control uh, with their weekly report. Again, the UK variant, the B117, continues to be the dominant uh, variant in terms of case numbers, uh, more than 8,000 and growing by 10%. The P1 variant, from originally from Brazil, almost catching up to the UK variant in number and growing by 15%. But it's the third one, the B1617 variant, uh, originally from India, that is chief concern. It's growing by 46% in just one week. Not as many high numbers, just a little more than 500. But again, uh, the percentage increase of that variant, it's a variant that's giving the UK real problems right now. It's more transmissible than the other variants. And we caught up with Dr. Sally Otto, the biologist out at UBC, who points out if this number keeps uh, doubling in effect on a week basis, this could shut down the, the opening up uh, plan from the VC government. If it is spreading a lot faster, and that's not just in some um, communities, but spreading a lot faster broadly, then uh, that might mean we have to reverse our um, reopening plans. I do think what the province is doing, which is let's keep an eye on things, especially things like hospitalization and ICU numbers. And as long as they're manageable, we can reopen. But if um, this variant takes off, then, then we might have to go back. 
So the United Kingdom is right now reconsidering its plan to reopen on June 21st because of the huge surge of cases associated with the B16172 variant in that country. Our numbers, of course, are nowhere near what, the, what Britain is experiencing. However, it's that growth on a percentage basis that's most worrisome. We're going to keep an eye on that, obviously, in the weeks ahead. No doubt. Okay, thanks, Keith. Well, there are new calls for the Canadian government to end the requirement for all incoming air travellers to quarantine in hotels. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, a B.C. expert says the recommendation by a federal advisory panel is premature. After three days in hotel quarantine, travellers from the Philippines, ready to continue their journey to Quebec, COVID tests in hand. A Canadian panel of experts says the mandatory hotel stay is no longer needed and should be phased out. We do not have evidence that that shows that we have actually reduced the transmission of the virus through the quarantine hotels. The quarantine implemented in January, largely in response to the worldwide spread of variants of concern. Critics of Canada's border measures say the policies have been implemented inconsistently. The three-day quarantine period easily ignored, travelers just skipping the hotel or landing at U.S. airports and driving across the border. SFU researchers say it's too soon to make such big changes without investing in more stringent data collection at points of entry. In the absence of an alternative solution that offers some risk mitigation. I think there's still high risks associated with travel. The report outlines further changes to the length of self-isolation based on travelers' immunization status. Only unvaccinated arrivals would be required to quarantine for a week. The federal government recognizes changes are likely needed. Health Minister Patty Haydu wouldn't commit to a timeline, only saying she would be bringing it up with her provincial counterparts next week. This uh, report provides us with uh, a roadmap, if you will, of the next steps that we can consider. Ontario's premier is urging the federal government to increase restrictions at the border. But in the end, the decision may be out of Ottawa's hands. Reports indicating the U.S. is planning on unilaterally opening its northern border as early as June 22nd. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, Premier John Horgan says he's in no hurry to see the Canada-U.S. border reopen to non-essential travel. As Richard Zussman reports, Horgan says one of his biggest concerns is stalled vaccination rates in Washington state. For more than 14 months, this border has been closed to tourists. And if it's up to Premier John Horgan, it will remain this way at least for a little longer, making that clear to Ottawa. I said, Prime Minister, I was the first person in the country to tell you to shut the borders. I will not be the first to tell you to open them up. Instead, we need to also, in this instance, have a thoughtful plan. Opening traffic for people to flow freely between the United States and Canada is up to the federal government. Horgan's main concern, though, vaccinations. B.C.'s closest neighbour, Washington State, started out strong, but is now falling behind on first doses compared to B.C., they plateaued a little bit. They've got a, they had a big uptake at the beginning. They have a lot of second doses, but they're stuck at around 60, 61 percent of the population. But pressure is mounting on Horgan to allow American visitors. In a typical year, a quarter of all U.S. visitors to Canada visit B.C. 60 percent of all international visitors here are American. And in 2019, 3.9 million Americans stayed at least one night in B.C.
We cannot rely solely on domestic visitation. It's proven that it cannot sustain businesses over the long term. The frustration from the tourism sector comes from a few places. Well, British Columbians could be traveling across the province by June 15th, across Canada by July 1st. There's no timeline or plan for the border. What the province introduced this week with, with its restart plan, we'd like to see that at the federal level. And although hotspots like the Okanagan will benefit from BC-only travel, places like Metro Vancouver will be hurting. The tourism sector in the province's largest city relies heavily on non-Canadian travel. Of course, there's no meetings business, there's no cruise business. That takes a huge chunk out of the market. And as BC opens up and allows more social visits between neighbours, the tourism sector looking forward to a day when once again we can welcome back our American neighbours into their backyard. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A local restaurateur caught up in international chaos. She says she came to Canada from Israel to escape the conflict that's gripping the Middle East. But it seems to have found her. That story. A job site fence collapses onto the sidewalk, pinning a pedestrian. That's coming up on the News Hour. And constructing a singing career. A man with a famous last name following his dream. That's coming up. Right now, though, tensions in the Middle East are hitting very close to home for a restaurant owner in Vancouver's West End. She moved to Canada decades ago trying to escape the tension in her native Israel. But when violence flared this month between Israeli and Palestinian fighters, the effects reverberated all the way here. Jordan Armstrong reports. Ofer Sixto says she's not a political person. In fact, that's why she left Israel 30 years ago for a new life in Canada, a new life for her children, far away from conflict. In December 2019, she opened this restaurant on Vancouver's Denman Street. She calls it a home for everyone. I don't treat anybody like it's a restaurant, but rather like it is, I'm their mom and this is your food, let's go. And if they leave anything on the plate, I'm like, what's that? But in recent weeks... I don't feel safe in my home. She says it started with a threatening phone call. They said that they will grind me and rape me and kill me. The hate continued online and she says protesters came to her doorstep on Monday. Yelling at the restaurant, obscene words. She's installed security cameras and her kids have told her to stop working alone. An unfamiliar face at the door makes her nervous. Sixto says it took her years after coming to Canada to get over the fear that a discarded bag on the street could be a bomb. I don't want to go back to that feeling again. It, it shouldn't happen, not in Vancouver, not in Canada, not in the world in 2021. With Ofer's restaurant, yes, we've responded uh, three times this year to three different calls uh, that she's made, um, all very concerning. So we are very aware. Our hate crimes unit has been advised. Could we take the salad home by any chance? You sure could, this one too? Yes, please. A restaurant owner who says conflict isn't on her menu. She wants to stay in the kitchen and out of any simmering debates. Politics, I can leave outside the love and the food and the people comes here. That's it. That's all I want. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Old growth logging protesters turn up the heat. 
how they tried to get the premier's attention coming up. But first, the bizarre antics of a woman charged in a violent outburst in court. The woman accused of a violent attack at the Vancouver courthouse made her first appearance before a judge today. Catherine Shen is accused of aggravated assault against a woman with whom she's had a long-running dispute. Romina Dea has the story. Appearing via video from jail at provincial court in Vancouver, Catherine Shen fired her lawyer and told the judge she wants to represent herself. Crown said Shen should not be released. It was a vicious attack. Bernie Wolf told the court Shen, who's been charged with aggravated assault, should not be representing herself. Here's why. She struck the complainant with a hammer and stabbed her multiple times in courtroom 32 in the Supreme Court law building, said Wolf. She very nearly killed the complainant. One of the stab wounds cut the pulmonary vein connecting the heart and lung. This attack is driven by personal animosity of an extreme temperature. According to sources, a woman walked into the courthouse with a fish knife and hammer in her purse Tuesday. A contempt of court hearing was set to begin at 10 a.m. in an ongoing civil suit between Catherine Shen and Jing Lu, who have been engaged in a verbal war on social media for over a decade. Lu is still in hospital. She is expected to survive. Shen told the judge Lu was spreading lies, so she had to, quote, stop her. The judge repeatedly urged Shen to get a lawyer given the seriousness of the charge. The incident has sparked concerns about public safety at Supreme Court in Vancouver, given security checks are not mandatory for everyone entering. The Attorney General is reviewing the matter. Shen is still in custody. She's due back in court on Monday for a bail hearing. Romina Dea, Global News. A frightening scene in Vancouver where a senior became trapped by a construction fence that collapsed on top of her. It happened at about 1.30 this afternoon outside the construction site for the SkyTrain extension at Broadway and Camby in Vancouver. A witness tells Global News the fence blew over in a wind gust, pinning the woman to the ground. Members of the construction team and a number of Good Samaritans worked together to lift the fence. BC Ambulance says the woman was taken to hospital in stable condition. Hundreds of people took to the streets of the capital today to demand better protection for B.C.'s old-growth forests. As Kylie Stanton reports, their anger is prompted by logging in the Ferry Creek watershed on Vancouver Island. Lining the streets, all signs signal this protest is getting louder. We are capable of incredible things when we stand together. The support from those driving by only matched by the enthusiasm of this crowd. Morgan has said in the past that these trees are worth more standing, but he's not living up to his own words. Protesters gathered outside Premier John Horgan's constituency office in Langford, calling on the government to put a stop to old growth logging in the province. Come out this conversation. We need to talk about the future of the logging industry. Those sentiments echoed here, outside BC Attorney General David Eby's community office. They haven't acted. They've let us down. 
and so we're fed up and we want to see the government follow through with their promise. Protesters say it's been more than a year since the NDP government made a commitment to act on implementing an expert panel's 14 recommendations on how to better manage the province's old growth forests. When asked Thursday, the Premier said these changes take time. We're going to implement the recommendations we said we would, but we can't snap our fingers to make that happen. We need to engage with Indigenous peoples, and that's what we're doing. The police are in the retreat before the people's will. In the meantime, the blockades at logging sites at Kekus and Ferry Creek continue to escalate. So far, 137 people have been arrested as part of the RCMP's enforcement of a B.C. Supreme Court injunction. This image of a massive log being hauled along a Vancouver Island highway that quickly went viral this week has only further galvanized the movement. We're down to the point where every last hectare counts now. What do we do? A protest that started deep in the backwoods, now front and centre, getting louder and more visible by the day. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Still ahead, help wanted. We're finding, you know, really little to no responses. The worker shortage that could hold back our pandemic recovery. And Premier Horgan one-on-one with Richard Zussman. And when he'll finally be ready to give up his mask. Clear of a crash, Highway 1 eastbound just after Kensington, although the traffic's still recovering a little bit here. Volume easing off slightly westbound seems to be doing okay. Sussex Insurance are your auto insurance experts. Get more, save more with Stratford Private Auto. Ask for details on your next renewal. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. Global One above Burnaby, I'm Tim Maine. There is a bit of a dark cloud hanging over the hopeful announcement this week that B.C. shuttered hospitality and entertainment sectors could be reopening within weeks. As John Hua reports, some owners are worried that a labor shortage might get in the way of their comeback. Restaurant and pub operators in B.C. knew this latest restart would be an uphill climb. We've got to basically triple what we're doing, not just with sales, but with people that can service the sales. Whether it's hiring more front-of-house help or keeping the kitchen fully staffed, the ability to find people to do the work has been shaky at best. We're finding, you know, really little to no responses for people coming in looking for work right now. So it's, it's a real challenge. Part of the problem, restaurants, movie theaters, even the P&E. This restart across various sectors means everyone's drawing from the same pool. We're having real serious problems getting staff. Uh, there's just not enough workers in the environment out there right now for a lot of businesses. Another issue, convincing people to get off government assistance and come back to what has been a traumatic working environment for so many during this pandemic. During the pandemic, we've had to lay staff off two or three times sometimes, right? As uh, I I wouldn't put up with that. I go get a different job. So you you can see where they're coming from. Well, there is hope this restart will be different. The provincial government says it's still deciding how to deal with possible hesitancy over re-entering the workforce and overall staff shortages. The real challenges will be faced in the coming weeks. And so we'll have to assess Uh, and consult with our uh, sector partners on uh, real challenges they're facing and then what potential solutions may be. Then there are the thousands of workers who can be recalled to work in B.C. casinos. But after a year-long shutdown, how many people 
will decide to pass. Knowing exactly how many of our membership may have had to find other alternative employment during this time, it's going to be really difficult to tell. And replacing them with ready-to-work employees won't happen overnight. That requires training, that requires certification, and so that does take some time. The hope is by showing they can reopen safely, things will start to pick up. But without more staff, businesses won't be able to navigate through this recovery. John Hua, Global News. Fresh off the unveiling of his government's plan to reopen B.C., Premier John Horgan talked one-on-one with Global's Richard Zussman. The wide-ranging interview deals with the hopes and the anxieties that come with a return to some semblance of normal. When do you think you will feel comfortable taking off your mask in public or going to a concert or going to a sporting event? Well, I am very much looking forward to the CFL season starting in August. Uh, the CFL missed the season last year. Uh, they're looking forward. They pushed the date of start times from, from the traditional June into August. Of course, this is a national uh, league that has issues in Alberta, issues in Manitoba, and of course, Ontario and Quebec. So in order for all of that to work, the successes that we're experiencing today in BC have to be duplicated across the country. When we start talking about the Canucks and the Whitecaps, uh, we start Start talking about inviting large uh, attractions back to BC. We're going to have to gauge what the uptake is going to be on that, and there are a whole bunch of ways we can do that. Uh, we have Destination BC, of course, going to be promoting tourism. We have uh, Creative BC that works with the arts, works with musicians, works with live theater. We're going to have to test that over time to see what the uptake will be. Can you guarantee British Columbians that they will not have to produce a passport for services in British Columbia? Not just public services, but private services as well. Can you tell them that they will not need to provide proof of vaccination to go to a Canucks game, to go to work, to go to a concert? We're still having conversations about that. We all have strong views about that. Some demand that we ensure that people are vaccinated and they can prove it. Others say, look, if we see the case counts coming down, if we know that we've got 80, 85, 90% of the community with two doses, why would we have to have those verifications? But a whole lot of people are concerned as we open up the borders, as we see cruise ships coming into Victoria, Vancouver, Prince Rupert, uh, is everyone on that vessel vaccinated? And they're going to want to know that. So this is a difficult issue. I can't guarantee anything on that other than we're going to continue to have that dialogue. We're seeing lumber prices out of control at this point. The costs are extremely high to build houses. We don't have a softwood lumber deal in place. How crucial is that? And are you worried about how high lumber prices are right now in terms of the costs associated with building homes? Well, it's unbelievable. When we came to government, uh, lumber was $400 a thousand board feet. Just last year, it had gone to 900 and everyone thought that was the highest it had ever been. Today, $1,500. The impact on housing, the impact on basic renovations, putting up a fence in the backyard is through the charts. I talked to the Prime Minister this week about engaging with the U.S. government one more time on the softwood lumber dispute. The National Home Building Association in the states are saying their recovery will be stifled because of the cost of softwood lumber, not just from Canada, but indeed from around the world. So lumber prices are having a negative impact on our ability to recover, and it's also leading to a different, difficult challenge of buying back those rights that were granted to these companies 50, 60, 70 years ago. How we repatriate that for the the people of BC gets higher and higher in cost as the cost of the commodity goes up. So it's in everyone's interest for them to come down so we can have a rational discussion about how we make forestry move forward for everybody. 
The province is adding $10 million to the fight to end sexual assault. The money is going to the Ending Violence Association of BC. It'll help fund groups who help people, often women, who are victims of gender-based violence. Advocates say the money will help fund a variety of services to support survivors of sexual assault. Services and service providers who know how to compassionately and appropriately respond to sexual assault, advocates that can assist survivors to access emergency health care and to report to the police if they choose and to uh, take up their role as a witness in court if that's what happens, uh, to talk to their parents or other loved ones about what's happened. This all involves navigating complex systems and sometimes family dynamics that are not really quite yet set up to be trauma-informed and culturally appropriate. Still ahead, a dream to sing that will never die. Just in love with a girl. What Gino Gerussi learned from his famous uncle that keeps him going. And in sports, will the Whitecaps wish for home crowds come true before the season is over? We made it through the great weather, and look at that beautiful blue sky for the weekend. Christy? Thanks so much, Sophie. Yes, so turning things around just in time for the weekend, let's have a quick look at how warm it was today. We were near seasonal, but a little bit below in a few areas, and we've got lots of sunshine on the way. So 18 degrees in Vancouver, 17 in through Nanaimo. And uh, by the way, wait till you see the numbers that we're going to see next week. It's going to get hot, so I hope you like the heat. In the interior, you're not quite at near seasonal yet, but you will as you head into tomorrow, especially early next week. So we're talking about 10 degrees above seasonal, likely on Tuesday and Wednesday. So quite a surge in heat. Uh, we'll be tracking, of course, the flood situation at that time as well. Uh, but lots of sunshine in store for us on Saturday. Now, I want you to know, though, Sunday we are expecting a little bit more cloud cover, especially through the morning hours along the coast, so including the south coast, lower mainland region as well. But we are expecting dry conditions and it to be a touch warmer. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that's when we'll see the heat. Away from the water, we're talking about 28 degrees and here's your central windows weather window for tonight this is a beautiful double rainbow over Kamloops which was well needed today I think mother nature was looking down on the area so lush and green in the foreground there too beautiful okay thanks very much Christy let's uh Move along. Move along. His day job is in construction, but Gino Gerussi is also following a passion for music. That's right. And as Jay Durant reports, he's also taken a little inspiration from a famous relative. Typically, music careers don't start taking off at age 59, but Gino Gerussi has been busy. He just released some new material, which is impressive considering he almost quit altogether a few months ago while working his day job in construction. I was digging a hole in the construction. I had no music to do. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm just in love with the girl. It was a video filmed at the site that sparked a lot of interest. A song he originally did with local jazz legend Miles Black. She's got me grinning all over the place. Very, very youthful sounding. It's crazy youthful sounding. And also the range is unbelievable. Oh, just in love with the girl. And now a Seattle radio station is showing some love. Gino Gerussi on today's Warm 106.9. I'm just in love with the girl. Right there. 
<laughs> the long-haired leaping no-no. <laughs> he's played in a few bands, and he's had many different looks. Is this an ad for a hair salon? <laughs> no, it was another band called The Cynics. Jerusi's been around music his whole life. And that's five-year-old Gino in front of his dad's store, Wally Music. He would sell pianos and guitars and drums, and, and I would get to play all, all, all the instruments. This is uh, opening up at the Commodore. For the Entertaining runs in the family. In fact, his uncle was fairly well known. I love it up here. Actor Bruno Jerusi from the Beachcombers, who taught his nephew a thing or two about perseverance and hard work. That man would be on set 16, 18 hours a day, back three, four hours sleep, back at it. And that stayed with him, a single dad of two who's hitting some new highs with his music late in life. I've never given up on my dream, and I never gave up on my kids. I don't have it in me to give up. Have mercy. Jay Durant, Global News. Wow. See, just like Phil Mickelson. Don't give up if you're in your 50s. Doesn't matter. Better <laughs> late do than it. never, right? And you mentioned the old McCain pizza ads, too. I remember those. I forgot Bruno Gerussi did those, yeah. There actually was a band at one time around Vancouver called Bruno's Gerussi, Bruno Gerussi's Medallion, I think. I kind of remember really? that. Yeah. Uh, the Whitecaps want to come home, but they can't, of course, until the border opens. To get permission to cross this border and even more to get permission for our opponents to cross the border. But the hope is that if things keep improving, that could happen later this summer. Also tonight, satellite debris. Do you guys remember when Vancouver had an MLS franchise? <laughs> Pardon were, me? I don't know what you're talking about. Those were good days. I do remember that. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. There'd be other people at the game, too. Um, anyway, but they'll, they'll come back one day. It has been, of course, the Whitecaps, the Vancouver Whitecaps, but... Vancouver in name only. The state of Utah is their home away from home, and it will be for a while longer, even with things looking up, especially in the U.S., so likely be there through July. But their goal is to come back and play at BC Place before this season is over. It's a sound the Whitecaps long to hear, their own supporters in full voice at BC Place. The Whitecaps are hopeful this scene will take place in the coming months, but it's pretty simple. Until the border reopens, allowing American teams to visit without quarantine, the Caps will have to remain playing home games in Utah. None of our opponents is, uh, will have the time and the possibility to come to Canada three, four days ahead of a game uh, to, to quarantine and to wait until they can play. The Whitecaps are also eagerly awaiting the federal government's upcoming decision on the NHL playoffs. One Canadian team will advance to the Final Four, and they need to know by June 1st if they'll be able to host playoff games against an American team. We are not alone. It's not only MLS soccer, it's also hockey, and hockey is much bigger than soccer as we know. So we will, we will work also with them together to see what, what's possible for them. That could give the Whitecaps an idea if the border will be reopening soon or if they could get a special exemption for sports teams. Although the Whitecaps stress they are not looking for any preferential treatment. They are confident they will play home dates at BC Place sometime this season and just having that hope is a big boost for the morale of the club.
It's always good to, to, to build some hope and to have something to hope for. I think uh, with the announcement, that was another thing that, that, uh, yeah, that was encouraging for every one of us that, there, that this time will end, that there is some light at the end of the tunnel. When the Maple Leafs and Canadians play Game 6 tomorrow night in Montreal, there will be actual fans, not cardboard cutouts, but only 2,500. They are the first fans allowed on NHL Arena since the pandemic shutdown last year. The tickets are basically for luxury box owners, corporate partners, some season ticket buyers, but just the same. Some have put their tickets online for sale. One pair was being offered for $15,730. I just looked a little while ago. The cheapest one we saw for one seat, $1,554. Or, of course, you could stay home and watch it on TV for the price of cable. Uh, World Hockey Championships from Latvia. That young man is Owen Power, and he could be the first pick overall in this year's draft. Played at the University of Michigan, a big defenseman, and has been playing a lot for Gerard Gallant, who is coaching Canada. Canada got off to a rough start in this tournament, but Cole Perfetti's wrister helps Canada beat Kazakhstan by the score of 4-2. Our record now is 2-3 and three at this event. I love how Phil Mickelson rocks the gas station sunglasses. And, of course, he won the PGA Championship last week, but still wanted to play this week in the Charles Schwab. Didn't have a great first round, better second round, but still missed the cut by one. Adam Hadwin, was this in for a hole-in-one watch? It looks in and out. And then it rolls almost to the water, but it stays out. The golf gods felt sorry for him and gave him a birdie instead. Wow. There you go. Nice. Nice job. Adam Hadwin is uh, six. He's at seven under par, and uh, Jordan Spieth is leading at 11 under. Should mention Nick Taylor minus three tied for 25th. Now, of course, we're watching baseball. Blue Jays and Cleveland. Nine Celsius and raining, but uh, Joe Panic two-run homer to right. And the last time we checked, Toronto is way ahead, 11-2. In Ohio. There you go. All right, Squire, thanks. Well, it wouldn't be Friday without satellite debris. Squire has that next. All right, here we go. Wrapping up the week with some satellite debris. Okay, so we're getting closer and closer, I hope, to the end of the pandemic. And Heineken has some ideas that when it's all over and we can all hang out again, you still should be careful. doing that all along see that's a good point that's a good point that is a good point okay 
So in golf, uh, there's a lot of talk about birds. There's birdies and albatrosses and eagles. Those are things you want. A swan that's angry, you don't want that. But that's what happened on a course in Georgia this week. This swan apparently normally hangs out on the ninth hole. And yeah, get off. I think this guy was either playing slow or he had hit into the swan. I don't know which it was, but he got chased out by the swan pretty good. That's a hazard. <laughs> that is a hazard. Okay, so here's a two, one from Gumtree, which is a, a thing you can buy stuff online. And the other is an old one from Heineken. Here we go. This is the softest, fluffiest rug ever. Um, who are you? Get off that rug. I am trying to set it. Goodbye, rug. Good, and here comes the kitchen, eh? Yes. And here I want a walk-in fridge. You know? Ah! Yes. So you like kitchens? Yes. Okay. Walk-in fridge. <laughs> kind of walk-in fridge. Still work? I like that one. Yeah, just <laughs> fine. Okay, uh, last word on weather before we go. Enjoy the weekend, basically. Have fun, oh, everyone. That looks beautiful. Special shout-out to Linda Steele, <laughs> who signed off the radio for the first time, or the last time, I should say, tonight. Way to go, Linda. Enjoy your time away. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Good night. <laughs>